Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. Hello, lab mates, and welcome back to The Change Lab. So last week I introduced some of the most common rationalizations I hear my clients use to excuse or defend the behavior of their emotional elephant. And this week we're going to look at these rationalizations in real life. So one of your fellow listeners applied to get coached on the podcast and she has bravely put herself in the hot seat. You know, and because we're focusing on our writer's rationales, I thought it would be extremely helpful to hear what these justifications actually sound like in real life. So you can become more skillful at recognizing your own. So we're going to dive into my session with Nicole and she's working on a weight loss goal, but we're really going to be focusing on where her elephant and rider disagree and how her rider justifies her emotional elephant's behavior. But before we cut straight into the middle of our coaching session, Let me give you some background about Nicole's story and what specifically she wanted to address in our coaching session. So when she initially reached out to me, here's what she wrote. Hi, Dr. Hines. I'm interested in figuring out what my roadblocks are with change, specifically related to weight loss. I've been on diets for one to two years at a time my entire life. And then after that period of time, completely go off the rails and revert back to my old self. A repetitive restrict and binge cycle. In January, I joined a group coaching for mindset around weight loss, and it seemed to help for about three months. Since then, I have struggled to lose any weight. With change, generally I wait for a moment where I seem to have a burst of motivation driven by the anger of repeated small failures over a few months. Sometimes change success lasts two to three years for me, and then I sink back into old habits with food and exercise. Thanks for your consideration, Nicole. Nicole also shared some details in our coaching session that I think will help you contextualize what we're talking about here. So in our our coaching session, Nicole also shared some details with me that we're not going to get into in this recorded session. But anyway, I think that it will help contextualize this coaching session for you. So Nicole started dieting and counting calories with her grandmother when she was nine. Her grandmother was sort of enlisted to help her count calories and lose weight. So, you know, before she started dieting with her grandmother, she said that she would eat until the point of sickness. And so at first, you know, the counting calories and controlling her weight felt empowering. But as you can see from what she's written in her email, that feeling of empowerment has now turned into a feeling of disempowerment, discouragement, exhaustion, and frustration. And because she was taught at a young age that this was her problem, the feelings of anger, frustration, and exasperation are turned inward at herself. It's internalized. So as we jump into the coaching session, I want you to listen carefully to how she rationalizes her elephant's behavior and how these justifications keep old, unexamined beliefs about herself on life support. All right, let's get to our coaching session. So you're using 
food to manage your feelings. Over the last few days, you noted that you were using food to manage feelings, to escape a feeling, to take a break from a feeling, or to turn it off, particularly boredom and anxiety. Yeah. I completely understand because I used to smoke cigarettes. (laughs) I would try to convince myself that I would just be someone who smoked when they drank and like never any other time. (laughs) Right. Which I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I haven't for years. But it's Mm -hmm. also... I don't have to smoke to survive and I'm just never around it. Okay, but you don't have to eat Costco cake to survive. No, I don't. No, but this is deeply important. It's deeply important. This is the loophole. We're like, yeah, but I have to engage with this to survive. I'm like, you have to engage with certain foods as much as you need to engage with alcohol or cigarettes. Mm -hmm. that's, That's completely true. Okay, you don't want to because if you take away... The Costco cake, you're taking away my fun. If you take away my margarita, you're taking away my fun in life. It's exactly the same thing. But we like, we're like, yeah, but I have to interact with food all the time. Yes, but no. But we go to a restaurant and people are ordering fries and someone's also ordering a beer and a margarita and a glass of wine. What makes this different? I guess it's not. It is different because you think of it differently. It feels different to you which is totally valid. I want to understand why and how you think of it differently. I mean, I do need some food at some point. I guess I have to be around, I have to be around food without a choice in it. There is cake there or there's stuff at holiday parties or, you know, I feel like I have to make a dinner that everyone's going to love when they come over. And so then it's just, I guess it's the urge that goes with the food. Mm -hmm. I don't have the urge to smoke a cigarette. Not anymore. No, not anymore. You did. I did. It's true. How did that go away? I worked on it. (laughs) How did you work on it? I used a CBT program that was like a 10-day at-home thing, and it didn't work, and so I did it two more times, (laughs) and then it worked. Or I figured it out in my head, I guess. And what worked about it? What were you working on? Not giving in to my urges. To the point where I didn't have any. And that's not possible with food? I think it is. I think it is in the same way that I've done that in the past where I only keep healthy food in my house. Like nothing that I might be tempted by, you know, like I used to do that. Like kind of like I didn't hang out with friends that were smoking cigarettes while I was trying to quit smoking cigarettes because it would lessen the urge. Because it's not there. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I say I don't keep anything sweet in my house, and then the first chance I am alone with something sweet, I'm just going to overeat it because that's what I've done before. Does that make sense? Yeah. The future you predict is the past you've already experienced. Yeah. So now you have a trusting relationship with cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. You could put a pack in front of you right now and you wouldn't be have any mental drama about it. At one point in your life, you would have. Isn't that interesting? It's like the same thing. It's an inanimate object. And at one point it had this power over you and now it doesn't. But the way that you think about food, which makes sense to me, because this is something you've been wrestling with since you were nine, that doesn't seem possible in the same way. It doesn't. <laughs> okay. So In the relationship between the elephant and the rider, so the elephant being your emotions, your gut instincts, your gut reactions, your habits, unconscious patterns, and then the rider is 
the voice of reason, your conscious thought processes. So the part of you that's, I shouldn't have X, Y, Z. I said I wouldn't have that. And then there's the elephant is, no, but we want it. Mm -hmm. I want it. It's going to be delicious. And this urge that I'm feeling sucks so much that if I just have one bite, the urge will go away and then I won't have to deal with it. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Walk me through a few times in the last week to two weeks where the elephant and the rider have disagreed. The elephant wanted to have a glass of wine. I I had my husband pour me a glass of wine and then I had it in the bathroom with me because I was going to take a bath. So I took a couple sips out of it and then I got into the bath and I was like, like every time I drink wine, my stomach just hurts the next day. And so I don't need to have that glass of wine. I'm just going to dump it out. When originally I wanted it to, I guess, kind of relax and have fun. And so I dumped the glass of wine out because I, you know, it doesn't make me feel that great. And there's a lot of calories in wine. And so then 20 minutes went by and I was like, you know, I really would still like to have fun. So instead, I'm just going to have a cocktail that's just, you know, some vodka and diet soda because it's a lot less calories. It won't make my stomach hurt, but I can still kind of, you know, lighten the mood. So that's one example I can think of. Okay, so great. So your elephant wanted to have a drink and your rider was reminding you that it hurts your stomach the next day and it's not in alignment with your goals, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so let's talk about how the rider, when the elephant is getting its way, the elephant got its way, right? Yeah. As it typically does when there's a disagreement, typically the elephant's gonna win. Okay, so then the rider is coming up with rationalizations. What were the rationalizations? One was what? There's less calories in the vodka than the wine. So I'll choose a drink that's more in alignment with my goals. Mm -hmm. So blowing off our intention, but I'm going to blow off my intention in the better way. Mm -hmm. By the way, we do it all the time. This is probably the rationalization that people use most when they're procrastinating. I'm not going to work on that work deliverable that I have, but you know, I tackled my to-do list. Okay. Give me another example. So another one was my in-laws had been over here for dinner and they brought a thing of cookies from the store and they left it here. Mm -hmm. And so it was Mm -hmm. like on the counter in the morning and I looked at it and I was like, oh, that looks good. It's cookie. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't really even want a cookie. I want breakfast and I'm not going to have that today just because I don't even like those cookies that much. And then, you know, half the day went by and I go back into the kitchen and I see the cookies and I'm like, these aren't around very often and I'm just going to have one. So it's not that big of a deal and it won't make that big of a difference in my day. I mean, it's 200 calories. Who cares? So I ate one. This is great. So they're not around often. So there's this kind of like scarcity rationalization. The second rationalization was it's not that big a deal, right? It's only what? 200 calories. I mean, it's not going to make that big of an impact on my goal. Beautiful. Were there any other rationalizations? So I did have one last night later and I was sitting, sitting there and I thought, oh, I'd really like something sweet. So I went into the kitchen and I was looking around and I didn't really think anything looked good. And so I thought to myself, I don't need anything sweet. You know, it won't matter. And, but I kept looking in the cabinet and then I saw some candy and I thought, 
that doesn't really look that great to me, but maybe I'll just go ahead and have one piece just to see if I enjoy it. <laughs> okay, I love that. I only ate one I piece of candy so because I really didn't enjoy it that much, but I was just like, why did I do that afterwards? <laughs> Okay. This is such a beautiful one. So you're going to eat something. I'm I'm just using this language because you're going to eat something kind of like off your plan, right? That you didn't intend to eat. Mm -hmm. What are we telling yourself you're testing out just to see what? Just to see if it tastes good. Like just to see if I'm going to enjoy it because I was craving something sweet, even though that wasn't something that looked great to me at the time. This is so interesting. So I I love this one because this is almost like all of the work that you've done with coaching yourself on this and getting coached. And it's almost like you're using that against yourself. In the moment, you're setting up an ad hoc experiment that is totally in service of your big assumptions. You're going to do nothing but prove your big assumptions correct. So if I'm going to blow off my food plan, but I'm going to test out whether or not I can use self-compassion to be kind to myself as I blow this thing off, right? It's like a backdoor <laughs> way up to like nobly justify not just allowing your elephant to do what it wants to do because it's going to do what it wants to do. I love this. Like it's that ad hoc experiment that requires you to do the thing you said you wouldn't do. Yeah. And I've definitely okay. done that before. Beautiful. <laughs> no, this is so great. You have great access to these. What other rationalizations? Did you use any others with regard to the in-laws cookies? With the in-laws cookies. When they first brought them over that night, I was, why did they bring dessert? Stop bringing dessert to Mm -hmm. my house. Okay. So this, is there a little bit of a rationalization of what was I supposed to do? They brought them over to my house. I get a little irritated because I don't, I feel like I don't have complete control of the situation now because somebody brought a dessert to my house that I didn't didn't expect to be there. This is, yeah, this is also... Of a thinly veiled rationalization of your writer, which is, what am I supposed to do? I don't have control. Someone brought something to my house. People brought cigarettes to my house. What the heck am I supposed to do? <laughs> I had to smoke. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to have a cookie after dinner either. But then I thought, then of they were sitting, were they were literally sitting right in front of me. And then I was like, I mean, like I said before, they're not even that great of cookies. And I just, I was like, I I think I did the same thing as I did with the candy. I'll just have this just in case I don't remember exactly what it tasted like. Maybe it's better than I remember. (laughs) Okay, this is so good. Okay, so right. So there's one rationalization here, which is I don't have any control. They brought them to my house. I couldn't help, you know, my kids do this all the time. She stuck her tongue out at me. So what was I supposed to do? Obviously, I had to hit her because she made a face at me. What? what? <laughs> it's not in my control. It's her fault. And then the other one that's so interesting too is I'm doing this to just test out whether or not it's as delicious as I thought it was, as I remember it to be. Now, here's my question. Did you actually sit down after that and, and write it out and oh, like, no. actually go through a protocol? So you're like, I'm going to do an experiment that's not an experiment at all. Like I don't, I usually don't write anything down. I have tried to, I've attempted to, and I've done it for a day and then not anymore after that. And then I'm like, why don't I, it's like, I don't notice. It's like, I don't notice it when it happens. But like, now that we're talking about it, I remember those instances, but it's not something I thought about writing down. 
Right. So this is what we want to help you get better at. I think right now, this is so deep for you. I just want to reach through the screen and just give you the biggest hug. You have been wrestling with this since you were nine. So you need to have a magnitude of self-compassion that can hold that many years of your past self having to struggle with this. Yeah. Right? It's like, man, they need some TLC. Yeah. I think you just need to spend a whole lot more attention to what's actually going on. So understanding what are the rationalizations I actually use and being able to label them and pay attention to them. Yeah. Okay. And you don't even need to act on it right now. Let's just pay attention to how often that's happening. What are the patterns? Because in these rationalizations are your assumptions. So weird. The assumption that's undergirding that rationalization is some belief around this is an act of futility. I've been struggling with this since I was nine. I'm in my thirties now. This is an act of futility. Deep down, I know that. And I think the same is true with this sort of, they brought it to my house. I'm going to the party, the damn cake's there. I think there's a deeper assumption around how much agency and control you actually have in this area of your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's another assumption, I think, embedded in this sort of scarcity rationalization. You know, I don't do it that often, so it doesn't matter. It's a special occasion. Embedded in that is an assumption, I think, around your lack of self-trust, right? Yeah. It's like the rider and the elephant don't trust each other. Not at all. (laughs) Yeah. They're both trying to sneak stuff all the time. The rider's trying to be sneakily punitive and the elephant's trying to sneak away with getting what it wants. Yeah. That's exactly what it's like. Well, give me one more example of where your elephant and your rider have been in conflict. I had another instance, but it, I, it's pretty similar to an example I already gave. When So I went to a concert on Wednesday night, which I haven't been to a concert in mm-hmm. probably three years. And my friend was with me as another mom friend. It was a, you know, a fun mom's night out. <laughs> and I, I had planned on, I'll have two drinks. Two drinks is plenty. I drink often enough to need more than two drinks to have the buzz that I want to dance around to the music and enjoy myself. But we were there for a while. And then I thought, you know, I took a break after my second drink and I thought, why, you know, I kind of want another drink. And I'm like, no, that's three drinks is too much. I don't need to drink that much. You know, I I didn't really think about the calories. I just kind of thought about maybe how I would feel the next day. But yeah. 20 minutes later, I was like, hell with it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get it because I'm having a good time and I want to have an even better time. (laughs) What was the rationalization or rationalizations? That, I mean, if I did have another drink that I would have more fun dancing with my friend. What else? What else are you telling yourself? By the way, I just want to let you know that my rationalizations are very elaborate, (laughs) very sneaky. I too have this issue. So what, what else did you say to yourself? What was the PR spin of your rider? I mean, I knew I didn't have to work the next day. So if I didn't feel that great, it was going to be okay because I wasn't going to go to work. <laughs> so this is interesting. So the rationalization was something to the effect of, since I don't have to work tomorrow, right? My feeling crappy won't impact other people. 
Or was it more like I can absorb the crappy day because I'm not working tomorrow? Yeah, that. So the excuse is kind of like, it's a case of the fuck. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck, it doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I have a lot of those. Right. But this is so beautiful because you can begin to see what the thoughts patterns here are. Like, it doesn't matter how I feel tomorrow. I don't matter. My future self doesn't matter. The me who has to wake up tomorrow morning feeling like dog do doesn't matter. Yeah. And you can begin to see how this is a part of your relationship with yourself that needs to be repaired. If you are having this conversation with a friend, you're out to a concert and this friend of yours is the elephant and you are the rider, okay? We're gonna externalize the elephant. And she's no, have another drink. I know myself and I know that two is enough. I'll have a great time and I won't feel terrible the next day. I know that's really the right amount for me. And this friend is like, who cares? You're not working tomorrow. Who cares how you feel tomorrow? You're like, no, I really don't wanna feel crappy tomorrow. It's fine, don't have fun tonight. That would not feel kind to you. A friend who's saying, who cares if you can't get out of bed tomorrow? Yeah. And you're in a, you know, a pit of anxiety. Who cares? If you had an interaction like that with a friend. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have any friends like that. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. I'm like, probably not. Probably not. We want to surround ourselves with people that when we're making a hard choice, are there to say, you're doing the, yes, I know this is hard, but you're doing the right thing. That's a loving friend who's very concerned with your future, very concerned with how you're going to feel tomorrow, doesn't want you to wake up with regret, feeling crappy. I kind of want that for you. Do what you know is best to do. Honor your boundaries. Honor what you know is true. But this is all happening inside of us. So it's a whole lot more complex and easy to find loopholes, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have the, I deserve to have more fun because I don't do it that often. How I feel tomorrow doesn't really matter. It's my future self's problem. Yeah. (laughs) It's not my problem. It's my future self's problem. It's my tomorrow self's problem. The other one is F it, it doesn't matter. Were there any other ways that you justified, rationalized, excuse the behavior, the choice? I mean... There is something that that I do sometimes where I'm like, if I didn't plan for something, but I have an urge for something, I tell myself, you can have this now, that's totally fine, but then you can't have this later. So I do that a lot, and then I still let myself have whatever it it was I was going to have later. (laughs) Okay. A false consequence. Yeah. So it's so interesting, right? Because in a relationship with a child, when you give a child a false consequence, if you do this now, this is going to happen and you never follow through on the consequence. What happens to the kid's behavior? It gets worse. Does it improve? No. <laughs> yeah. Typically it gets more intense because they're like, oh, sweet. I'm not actually going to get pushback. So I'll keep doing it. Maybe I'll lean into it a little more. Yeah. Anything else? Any other ways that you, you know, you kind of pretty up The elephant's choice. The elephant wins and your rider is giving it a spin. And I feel like when I drink more, I can feel the music more, dance more freely. (laughs) That probably sounds ridiculous. No, it's not. Because what happens when you drink is you turn your rider off. You are muting your rider when you have alcohol. You're like, just shut up and you have another drink. (laughs) 
So that makes total sense to me. That's what you would choose to do because that the rider torments you and it's not fun. You don't like it, which I totally get because the way that the rider interacts with you is not all that lovely nor effective, right? I think we could agree with that. So, you know, you have a drink and you're like, just stop talking. Leave me alone. Give me a minute of peace. Yeah. Yeah. So this is so good. And I, what I want you to do is continue to pay attention to what are the rationalizations. I don't think, I don't want you changing your behavior at all. I just want you to start paying attention to get a clearer picture of what's really going on. Because the way that you spin it, the way that you justify it, it illuminates the underlying belief systems, right? It really helps us to understand the underlying belief systems. Like when someone gets a case of the fuckets, what's the underlying belief? The underlying belief is like nothing I'm doing really works. So it doesn't matter anyway. So when you're like, screw it, what that illuminates is a belief system underneath, which is this is, it's futile. Yeah. Okay. So once we begin to see what are the assumptions that you have, we can begin to work on like really exploring the accuracy of them. Is this actually true? Yeah. And the name of the game here is to be brave enough to be honest with yourself and look at things objectively and being willing. And most importantly, being willing to be wrong. You may be totally wrong about what's possible for you. Yeah. But being wrong about what's possible for you is going to feel like jumping off of a cliff. It's not going to feel like you're jumping onto a feather bed. How are you feeling right now? I guess a little just freaked out. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Um, just like the thought that I could be like believing things that have been holding me back from what I wanted for most of my life. And it's my own fault. There's, mm-hmm. I mean, I consider myself to be pretty intelligent and introspective, but it's like, how come I can't figure that out for myself? Because your first reaction here is to judge yourself for it as opposed to, oh my gosh, as a child, I was taught a lot of things about who I was and what struggles I would have and what was easy for me and what was hard for me and what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And all of these implicit beliefs that you picked up as a kid, these implicit theories about you and how you operate and how your family operates and all these things, you didn't make this stuff up. You learned it. Yeah. It's not your fault. You imagine that nine-year-old in front of you right now, that little nine-year-old who's starting to count calories with her grandmother. Her beliefs, not her fault. Like how can we judge her? I mean, we can't. <laughs> what we're not going to do is judge you because by judging you, you're judging the nine-year-old in you. And I, I won't let you do that. That sweet nine-year-old girl, she didn't have a choice. She was told that this was the right thing to do and she believed it. And the person that told her it was the right thing to do believed it too. Yeah. Yeah. There was not malicious intent. They just didn't know. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording so you can see my face. Nicole, if you're listening, thank you so much for doing this. You're amazing. That was amazing. And I hope all of you are giving her a massive mental hug and or high five right now. It takes so much courage to step into the hot seat and choose growth over protection. Like she's in the arena. She's not in the peanut gallery. She's in the arena. So awesome. So let's do a brief after action review of her rider's rationales. So here are the ones that I observe the most. The loophole rationale. 
She used this one a couple of times. The cookies, the Costco cake, the extra drink at the concert are all grounds to exploit the loophole clause because, well, she almost never gets to have them, right? So here's how Nicole used the loophole rationale. These are her words. I go back into the kitchen and I see the cookies and I'm like, you know, these aren't around very often. If I have another drink, I'll have more fun dancing with my friend and I don't do that often. <laughs> this is the one where she was like, I see a theme here. <laughs> I see a pattern, right? You can see this happening, the loophole. She also uses the injured party rationale and she particularly uses one when her in-laws dropped off the cookies. So, and here's what she said. She said, quote, I get a little irritated because I don't feel like I have complete control of the situation now because somebody brought a dessert to my house that I didn't expect to be there, right? <laughs> right? This rationale makes sense if she believes that she's been wronged by her in-laws for dropping off the cookies because she doesn't believe she has control when in the force field of the cookies. She's only being wronged because she doesn't really believe that she can control this siren call of the cookies that are in her kitchen. So you can see how that kind of illuminates one of her big assumptions. She doesn't really have control. Another one she uses is the driverless Uber rationale. So with the box of cookies incident, she also invokes the driverless Uber rationale because those cookies were sitting there just begging to be eaten right? In her words, and this is what she said, she said, yeah, I wasn't going to have a cookie after dinner either, but then I thought they were literally sitting right in front of me. So this rationale is actually a red flag that fundamentally she doesn't believe she has the authority and agency in her relationship with food, right? That that food controls her, she doesn't control food. And you can see how that's also related to the injured party rationale, right? Those two are kind of related in that Fundamentally, there's an assumption here that she doesn't have authority and agency in her relationship with food. The effort rationale came up a bunch. So her elephant wants another drink and her rider ultimately relents and says, effort, who cares if I feel crappy tomorrow because I have a day off from work. It's so interesting, right? It's like tomorrow me is going to deal with this and who cares? it really is ultimately a very unkind thing that we do to ourselves. We typically get a case of the efforts when we're feeling defeated and discouraged. We we don't see a big enough payoff for our effort or we don't see it soon enough and it doesn't feel worth it. So effort. And there were also three more rationales that I noticed that I didn't have on my list of 12 last week. So I've I've just made up these names. Okay, the... It could have been worse rationale. This justification implies that although the behavior or choice in question was not ideal, you did not hit the mark, it's not that bad when compared to a worse alternative. It could have been worse. And here's how Nicole used it. So instead, I'm just going to have a cocktail that's just some vodka and diet soda because it's a lot less calories and it won't make my stomach hurt. So... She comes in, right? Her writer comes in to defend and justify the decision that she made by saying, you know what? All things being equal, it could have been worse. I I took the lesser evil. All right. Another one I noticed was the I might have been wrong rationale. We could also call this like, I need to test it out rationale. (laughs) 
I don't know. Someone can come up with a better name for this one. This one's very useful when you know something's not in your best interest, but you still want to pretend that it might be. Like maybe you were wrong. So let's test it out again. It sounds like this. I don't know. It's a pretty extreme example, but it definitely makes the point. I know I said I wouldn't communicate anymore with the guy I'm having an affair with at work, but I just want to see if we can hang out and keep it strictly professional. This is such a perverse rationalization of, I'm going to do something against my better judgment that I already know what the outcome is going to be, but I'm going to do it under the guise of, I'm going to see if I can handle this with character or maybe things have changed, et cetera, even though you know they won't have. And for Nicole, this was the sentiment. Maybe this piece of candy is better than I remember. I'm just going to have it, not because I'm giving in to my elephant, but because I'm conducting a taste test. I'm conducting an experiment. (laughs) And she used this one also with the cookies, right? She did the same thing with the cookies. And finally, the last one that I heard her use that wasn't on the list is the it's harder for me rationale. The idea here is that our obstacles and challenges are harder and therefore we should set our expectations lower and give ourselves more leeway. This is a classic rationalization used to defend perpetual engagement in nonsense with any substance. So substance abuse or substance dysfunction. But I typically hear it used to justify ongoing food nonsense. So here's how Nicole used it. And this is a direct quote. But it's also that I don't have to smoke to survive. I have to be around food without a choice in it. There's stuff at holiday parties, or I feel like I have to make a dinner that everyone's going to love when they come over. Can you guys identify the thought errors here? Right. The truth is that humans need candies, cake, ice cream, cookies, chips, Big Macs, and French fries to survive as much as they need Merlot, Sauvignon Blanc, tequila, whiskey, or IPAs to survive, right? I mean, I'm not going to give up chocolate, ice cream, pizza, or fries anytime soon, but let's not pretend that they're on the menu for my survival. (laughs) They're on the menu because I love them and I want to eat them, but not because they are responsible for my survival. You know, I see this one happen a lot. And and you can see how that's just a fallacy, right? It's, it's just a thought error. That doesn't actually make a lot of sense. Anyhow, there we have it. Here are Nicole's rider rationales all laid out. And now that Nicole is onto herself, she can start to look at the real facts behind the rider's PR spin. And if you find any other rationales that Nicole used that I didn't mention, please send me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or send me a DM on Instagram and you can find me there at Dr. Sasha Hines, D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z on Instagram. And finally, your lab work this week is to enjoy Thanksgiving. Make sure your elephant and rider are communicating well and on the same page about all stuff typically trips you up over the holidays. They need to sit down and have a conversation and work together. So have a very happy Thanksgiving. And this week of all weeks, it couldn't be more important to put the own up and grown up. For more dirt on today's topic, make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, 
You can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at Dr. Sasha Hines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashahines.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.